welcome to another episode of Design Under Influence. I'm your host, Alex Osinenko, and I'm pleased to have Boris here with me. Boris, say hello to the fine folk who are watching. Hello, everyone. And yes, welcome to another episode. I hope this is going to be educational for you. Yeah, you know, my brother yesterday said that he gets a lot of his content from YouTube. Like I said, hey, you want to listen to this podcast? So we're talking about when fishing, we talk about all kinds of like how we consume information to stay informed and uh, competitive and whatnot in our respective roles. And and he's like, yeah, I'm all YouTube. So he's listening to YouTube. He's watching YouTube. So if you're watching on YouTube, great. So the premise of the show today, we're going to talk about IT services, prices and costs. This is going to be a juicy one because um, not very talked about subject. And so if you're architecture, design and engineering firm, you know, you're in the right spot. We're going to sort of demystify different cost structures and try to do it quickly, efficiently with some, you know, maybe a joke or, t- or two thrown in, right, boys? We'll try. We'll try. Make it funny. Levity is the spice of life, especially in this COVID era. Make you smile a little bit. We've done a pretty decent job, but information is our goal. Here we go. Let's start talking about different models out there, Boris. So you've been in IT for how many years? Many, many, many. I'd say over 25. 25. About right. 25. Wow. So you've seen a number of things transpire and how different companies price IT services. So right now we're going to mostly focus on outside IT or IT partners you would bring in into your firm to help you manage your technology and be, you know help hopefully help it go and become your competitive advantage. And so, Boris, let's talk about companies, first of all, that are more into a little bit, say, medium size. They're no longer small businesses. We're going to go back to small business in a minute. But companies who are like 11 people to about 50 people, what do you typically see are the service models? And then we'll dive into pricing for those service models. Well, so I think... Um Currently in the marketplace, there are predominantly two service models uh, that stand out. And then there's probably a few variations uh, on either side. But the, uh, you know, the first one and kind of the easiest one to wrap your head around, uh, especially, you know, for architects and engineers who are in professional services, is the hourly model. This is where your provider basically works with you and everything they do is going to be charged back to you and billed to you at the end of the month, for example, right? So every, you know, they basically bill for every minute they spend of their time uh, working with you, whether, you know, it could be 15 minute increments or uh, hourly increments, but they're still billing based on how much work they do for you every month. And in this model, um, let me just ask this question. In this model, internal IT, so 11 to 50, a lot of those companies, maybe maybe towards 30 or so, have internal IT. And so is this the typical model for a company, let's say 30, 30, 30 team members and above? Not always, no. I'm, gonna, I'm going to say that it all depends on how much help the internal IT uh, may need, right? So if it's, um, you know, if a person who's running the internal IT um, is technical and he's able to help the employees in the company with day-to-day tasks, then he may outsource or offload some of the uh, more mundane tasks like managing backups or managing antivirus stuff. And that that could be priced both ways. It could be priced in just the work that the company does, the the outside company does, or uh, it can be priced as a monthly fee and everything 
you know, any work that's done is included. Gotcha. And so if we try to range the hourly rate for this sort of, let's call it, is it, you know, time is material, TNM, right? What's the, what's the typical range? Well, I'm going to say that on average is going to be around $175 an hour. It could be a little less or most of the time it's more because as you're getting into projects that require real technical expertise, um, those that side of things, the experts um, are going to be more than $175 an hour. If you require just basic assistance with troubleshooting, um, you know, standard computer issues, then it could be a little less, but, um, you know, especially in California, you know, you're looking to on average pay $175 an hour. Gotcha. And so if we take it back to the smaller firms, one to five, one to 10, they're, you know, they're, you know, proverbial IT guy, you know, there's definitely girls in IT, but, you know, IT guy is the nomenclature um, of uh, a lot of people use. What, what does that person that they don't have internal IT clearly. And, and so what typically are they paying for this kind of hourly rate, hourly service? I'm still, I mean, from what I know, the rates are about the same, right? Because it's still the same, um, you know, same type of people, but um, they, you know, they could be working with somebody who's less knowledgeable or less experienced, paying them less. But I guess we have to look at what the value uh, of that relationship is, because pricing is one thing, but what you're getting back for that money is a completely different thing. Gotcha. Okay. So the first model is your hourly person. A lot of people probably have that, you know, you got something wrong, they come in and fix it. You need to have a new software, you know, you, you need to install, they come in and, and help install and integrate it. You have new equipment, you need to change your file server broke, you know, gave out on you, whatever you get hacked, whatever. You, that's the person you call. Um, what's another model? As I mentioned before, there's few variations of the hourly model, like prepaid hourly model, for example, where you purchase, you know, blocks of time ahead of time. So you pay like $1,500 to get 10 hours of time, right? So uh, the prepaid hourly model is part of it. There's other kind of hybrid models, but on a complete opposite uh, end of the spectrum is what is called the managed services model. Mm -hmm. And what that is, um, is basically for a nominal monthly fee, you get a team of people that help your organization run all of the technology uh, for you, right? So you get uh, level one and level two service desk people who will solve issues for your users. You get project engineer who will do more advanced projects. And then you also get a VCIO, virtual CIO person who will provide strategic guidance to make sure that you're investing properly. Your technology spent is invested properly that aligns with your business. Gotcha. Do you see this managed IT uh, service levels across both smaller and larger organizations, or this is more reserved for mid to large organizations? I think so. We are in the last few years are seeing a lot more smaller organizations working in that model, right? As we as technology becomes a bigger part of the business, you know, business owners understand that technology can, you know, plays a very important role in their business and they can see the value of the managed services model versus just the hourly model. Gotcha. 
And so what is the typical cost for a managed service uh, model? How, how, how is it being priced out there? Well, there's a lot of different uh, ways people price managed services. I can start with, you know, how many devices are being managed, right? Whether it's servers, um, network equipment, computers, mobile devices. So there's per device models, there's hybrids of per device and prepaid hourly. There's hybrids of per device and per user. So, so there's a variety of different ways. Most of it has to do with the risk that the business presents, right? So basically I think, so when we do manage services, we become a part of the business, right? We, we as a company inherit the risk that is in the business because it basically makes, like we're as invested as the business owners into making sure that everything works properly because if it doesn't, all our labor is already included in the price of your monthly service. So if we have to spend more time um, then we, you know, we begin to lose money on our side uh, to keep your business up and running. So a lot of people look at that inherent risk uh, to price their services. Ah, uh, very interesting insight. That's a very interesting insight. So an IT company, a business owner would bring in on a managed service level, charges, let's say, uh, a monthly agreed upon monthly fee, and and a lot of this labor is already rolled in. So once they set everything up. Your job is to maintain it and consult on positioning and, and making sure technology spend is uh, effective and efficient and it aligned with company goals. Okay, so that's good. But when something goes wrong, the IT company is the one who shares the risk because the recovery might take hours and hours and hours and those are unpaid hours technically because they're not hourly. And so we'll get into advantages of disadvantages of both SIST models uh, in a bit, but I think I'm, I'm getting, but still give us an answer on what is typically a company, let's say of 15 architects and, you know, some support people, what would they pay for a managed IT service? Like what's the range? So I'm going to say, and again, it may vary geographically, but in California, they should be expecting to pay anywhere from $100 to $300 per person. $100 to $300 per person. So got it. That's like kind of your, your average plus, plus any projects if they have like special projects. So again, depending on, um, you know, depending on the plan, those special projects can be included or not included. Uh, for example, on some of our basic plans, we don't include special projects, but we also, low, you know, our monthly fee is low enough to kind of give that entry level managed services to include everything that you need to run your business. But then if you need to do any special projects, those would be extra. Gotcha. By the way, if you're watching this and you need an example, go to arc, getarcit.com. We publish our pricing because, you know, we believe in the absolute transparency when partnering with clients. So we ourselves are managed IT company. And so the prices are out there on our website. You can check it out and sort of price, see what price you, you know, you, your organization may fall, fall into. And so that will help you budget for bringing an organization like ours. Okay, so let's talk about advantages and or disadvantages of hourly and managed IT. I mean, I can already see shared risk is a big one. Business owner, you have you play, there's so much, so many moving parts in the business. If the IT is solved and your technology is actually integrated, working and your productivity is high, you know, that's such a big piece of the business, huge piece of the business solved for you. But there may be benefits in, in, in just getting somebody an hourly. Like what, break those down for us, will you? 
I'm going to try. And as you mentioned, we are a managed services provider, so I may be a little biased. I'll try to be as unbiased as possible. But um, let's so let's start at the hourly at the plan, right? So if you're working with somebody on hourly basis, the advantages for you as the business owner is you can possibly um, minimize the upfront costs of of IT services, right? So you can say, look, um, you know, we have an agreement with this person. We pay him $150 an hour. So we only call him a couple of hours every month. We can, you know, our IT costs or IT service costs are only going to be around $300 a month, which is pretty low if you're a five or six person firm, which is pretty low compared to what I've just mentioned to you before in terms of managed services range. Um, However, along with that come other complications, right? You have to not only take the cost of actual service into consideration, but the cost to your business. And what may happen, and we see that happen a lot of times when clients come to us, um, is that their biggest complaint is their IT guy is not responsive enough, right? So they may have an issue. They call that guy, but he has other clients to worry about. Um, Guy or girl. or guy or girl, sorry, yeah. It's just, as you mentioned, it's always been. Nomenclature, yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, IT guy. Yeah, I got you. I got you. So, so yeah. they call him, they call her, and they get no response. We, we Actually, we've done a whole blog on this, um, the whole video series, I should say, on this. Um, and we got some calls because of this, because people like, yeah, I'm getting that right now. I'm not getting a response. So we got some calls and and new clients coming on board just, just for that particular episode we've done, which was like a few episodes ago. But anyway, carry on, please. I'm sorry. Right. So that's one piece of it. And it's a very important piece because if you're in trouble and you need, you know, you need your systems to operate and you need your people to continue working and continue to produce that billable revenue. Right. So you can so you can get paid. That's a big problem. And, you know, we can see that sometimes it takes two, three days on critical issues like your file server may be down, but you're not getting a response from your person for two, three days and understandable because they have another client and they may have a similar problem to that or even worse problem, right? So that's the drawback. Sorry to interrupt, Boris, but I I just want to like underline this for uh, business owners as an entrepreneur and business owner. This is, this is a big risk that, so like think of it as like insurance policy, you know, it's not really insurance policy because managed IT does a lot more than just sit there and be ready for problems. But just so you know, and I felt this myself, like when, when shish goes wrong, you have nobody to call. And whoever you call, if they're not like right there, you know, in your office within within a you know a short amount of time, the business will suffer. So it's a big risk layer of risk that you are adding to your org by having a person that is you know only sometimes available and only working for a couple hours a month solving critical issues where everything else is sort of on your shoulders as a business owner. So that's, that's a truism. Okay. This isn't something I'm trying to sell our organization. You know, this is a truism and it is true for both, you know, for it it's true for marketing it's true for other disciplines within the business. But uh, sorry to interrupt Boris. I, I thought I'll uh, just sort of interject and, and, and help people digest that it's, it's a way to do business. People have hourly it people all the time. No problem until there's a problem. Right. Yeah. That, that was a great explanation. Couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> but there's so there's additional considerations there as well. You mentioned something and I think I just lost my train of thought. That's fun. Um, <laughs> you mentioned something that the person, right, having to send somebody on site, that's one thing, right? Can a person come on site? But also um, 
most managed service providers um, have tools that they can deploy in your organization so that they can so that they can solve issues quickly uh, remotely right mm-hmm. and have the people available for your phone call in case something like that happens but also have the tools in place to monitor and maintain your systems so that issues like this don't happen. And I think we're going to touch on that a little later, but I'm kind of, I'm kind of transitioning to that is going back to the point of, you know, we're trying to lower our monthly costs. That's why we have hourly IT. Now that again, that's great. If you're paying 300, you know, for a couple of hours of that time. But what we see also happen a lot is because we're trying to uh, manage those monthly costs is the business owner basically doesn't call their IT expert or the IT person for many issues, right? So they try to shoulder all of that on their own. Yeah. Uh, if there's new users that need to be created, if somebody forgets a password. So so the cost to the business is a lot more than that $300 a month. It's lost productivity. It's lost hours that you can be working on the business instead of in the business. And I think that adds up. And I, I, I believe we did a show on this already, but just, just again, like that adds up to maybe a few thousand dollars every month for the business owner. Easy. Um, I just want to bring one more example. I don't want to like hammer this down, but it's such an important piece to uh, truly, truly sort of internalize as a business owner. Look, look at this an offboarding process. I remember running my agency. Um, you know, when we let somebody go or a contractor, you know, completed a project, you know, they had access to all our stuff, specific customer accounts and, and all the things they were working on. Um, and when they're offboarded, am I the business owner? It, you know, is, am I going to be able to go and make sure every single system access has been uh, revoked? Uh, information has been saved. All the user activity has been documented in case something goes wrong in the future. And, and you know what that person has done, what files they have, what files they left, where they left it. So you can go back uh, and get that stuff, whether it's an employee or contractor. Like that itself, just think about that. And, it's a, and you know, when you let somebody go, you know you're not doing, you're not doing an adequate job. It, even adequate job, not even good job. Because um, I, I know I have not. And if you do, you're spending way too much time on this. Like, think about that. Then you're not writing your business, you're writing systems and procedures list for offboarding people, which is costing you money because you're not running your business. You're putting systems and procedures. That's something that your team should do, um, your trusted IT team. And so that's that's my piece. I'm not, I'm, I don't want to beat this down anymore, Boris. Let's just, let's, I, do you have I something want, to add? I want to, yeah, I want to add something to that because... It is actually something that just happened recently to me, right? So we brought on a customer and they had some offboarding and onboarding that they needed to do. So they're when they're making these requests, like we, you know, they, they requested for a phone call and they told us, oh, you need to do this, 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 and this. And we're like, don't worry about it. We have a checklist. We've already discussed this. You don't have to tell us every time what needs to be done. So you can focus on other things. We'll follow the checklist that we put together. And, you know, you can be rest assured that the offboarding process is going to go as smoothly as it needs to be. And so it took actually a couple of those offboardings to put their mind at ease, which is understandable. But that yeah. just means that with the previous provider, they had, you know, they had to tell that person or people like, step by step everything that needed to happen and they had to keep it you know 
in their head all the time. Gotcha. Um, so let's let's round this out with sort of a, a quick discussion on industry specific versus not. When I ran my uh, agency, we were very specific. So we did marketing services or growth growth services for organizations. We were in a very specific niche kind of uh, industry. We did not go outside of it, and we done really really well. Question: Do architecture design engineering firms should they look out for an IT partner that is specializes in their industry or somebody who's just really good and not necessarily have the specialization, somebody who matches the pricing, who matches the, um, the value, the service, you know, somebody they, they can trust based on other recommendations. Like how do you, and, and just be, be as sort of unbiased as possible in this, but how do you figure out, do you go with industry specific or do you go with general provider? That's pretty good. Well, you want to go with a good provider. So I'm going to say that for sure. Whether the provider is industry specific or not, um, if they're checking a lot of the proper boxes to make sure they're responsive, proactive, and strategic on your behalf, that's one of the, you know, that's that's a set of criteria that you need to look at to choose a provider. Now, um, industry specific or not, my big big belief, and this is why we only work with architecture, design, and engineering firms, is that you do need to look at at being industry-specific or choosing a provider who's industry-specific. And the reason for that is, in my 25 years of experience or uh, more, I've worked with a lot of different organizations, a lot of different businesses. And architects and engineers, and everybody's probably going to tell you that, you know, they're, you know, they're special and their tools are special. But I've noticed it myself, right? The tools that architects and engineers use um, are a lot more complex and are required to do a lot more than just, you know, simple tools that a law firm or an accounting firm may use. I mean, a law firm or an accounting firm can get away with just using spreadsheets and Word documents for everything. An architecture firm? Uh, okay. Uh, right. it, not, not the one that wants to scale, but okay. Yes, right, they right. can no, get no. away with it. Right. Uh, what I'm saying is, yeah, they need some databases to manage cases. They need some, they need some other tools, but at the basic level, they can get away yeah. with it. An architecture Great. firm or a design firm or an engineering firm, in order to be successful today, needs to be running spe- specific software, CAD software, BIM software, um, additional uh, rendering tools. So there is a lot of complexity that comes with, with being an architecture designer engineering firm. And the team, the IT team that you work with, needs to understand that complexity, needs to look at a kind of comprehensive set of tools that you have when they make oops, when they make their recommendations. Because again, you want to work with people that can help you um, use technology as your competitive advantage. You want to work with people that can understand your business, understand your tools, and provide you um, the guidance for making the right IT investments. You don't want to be the firm owner who just tells your IT people what to do. At least from my standpoint, or as a business owner, I don't want that. Like if I'm working with a marketing agency, I want them to know me and I want them to do their job. If I'm working with accountants, right, I want them to know me and I want them to tell me how I can better save on taxes and things like that. So I want to work with people who can make the right recommendations. I don't want to be the one who tells my consultants what to do. Because to, to me as a business owner, there's no value in that. Hmm. So um, 
Go ahead. <laughs> I think well, no, that, that was very well said. Well, I, I, was gonna, I was just going to end it here, man. I mean, Arc IT, we are a good company that specializes in the industry. So, hey, you know, give us a call if you need an IT service. But we were as unbiased as possible on this cast. Uh, but, um, you know, thank you very much for watching. Boris and I would love to earn your business. So if you need an IT help or just need advice, you want to talk to Boris, want to talk to me, I don't know what you talk to me for. Talk to Boris. He knows all the stuff. Um, you'd find us at getarkit.com. You'd fill out a form and you would get a phone call and we'd love to um, have the conversation. Thank you very, very much for watching and we'll see you guys next time. And remember, technology is your competitive advantage.